Good morning, everybody. Not starting off well. Good morning, everybody. Right. My name is Brandon, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors of this amazing church, Renaissance Church. And as we get started today, would you please open your Bibles and flip them or scroll them to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we will begin in verse 17, which says, And to Adam he, that is God, said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Today's sermon is entitled, Faith at Work, When Obstacles Come. God, we love you so much. And we just praise your holy name, God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that your mercy is new for us this very morning, Lord God. We thank you that your mercy is new for us Monday to Friday too. God, and so we pray that as many of us might be sitting with this disconnect and this gap that we call a Sunday-Monday gap, Lord God, that you would help to bridge that, that you would repair that bridge in order that we might be the hands and feet of your son, Jesus, our Lord, here on this earth in one of the most important aspects of our lives. In Jesus' mighty, matchless name I pray, amen and amen. So firstly, before we dive into obstacles at work, I get the title of the sermon. We need to talk about why it's important to discuss faith and work in general. I don't want to assume that this is a topic that you think is worthwhile talking about in church. And it's important for a couple of reasons. First off, integrating faith at work is paramount, paramount, super important to our faith in Jesus. Think about it this way. Nothing you see exists without work. Also, nothing you see came to be without faith. So then everything you see is a result of this collision of faith and work Yet we largely ignore the concept altogether. That is fascinating to me. Again, nothing you see exists without work, meaning the, the walls in here, somebody put up this drywall. Somebody put up these TVs. And nothing you see exists without faith. The phones that some of you are holding, taking notes in, exist because somebody had the faith. Somebody conceptualized it and then truly believed that if they put it out, people would want and need it, that it would help people. And so then everything you see is the result of this collision of faith and work. 
Likewise, work is the thing that you do more than any other thing, other than sleep. And again, for some of us, that's up for debate. I don't know. But you don't do anything more than you work. 40 plus hours, some of us. So then maybe it's important that if we would call ourselves leveraging our lives on something, I don't know, Jesus, that maybe we consider how our faith in him might affect our Monday to Friday. And in the Old Testament and New Testament, all the, all the authors in the Bible, for instance, would have never conceptualized or thought that it was normal to separate our spiritual lives or our faith from our work. It just wasn't how people thought back then. It's super important. But if we can be honest, we can be honest in this room. We can, be, we can talk about this. Christians aren't great at it. And there's a couple of reasons. You know, a recent survey showed that only 6% of Christians believe that it's worthwhile to bring issues that they face at work to their pastors. I'm offended. (laughs) And the other 94% said, they cited when asked why, they said it's mainly because they just generally don't believe that the church or the Bible has much, if anything, to say about the specific issues that they face at work. And I have to say, the assessment, when I really look at it, seems fair, right? Seminaries, as much as I love seminary and highly recommend it, don't, don't prepare pastors to help people in these types of realms. It's just not set up to do that. It's not a knock against seminary. It just doesn't prepare people to do that. And then also, it's a complicated, messy wisdom thing when you think about it. Right? There's no black and white manual in, in the Bible that's like, oh, you own a small business in Harlem? Okay, this is how much you pay your cashier. That doesn't exist. And so because of that, we stay away from the topic altogether. It's not black and white. But I have to say, get this. We, we have to get this. We cannot just stay away from this topic lest we spend up to 100,000 hours of our working lives disconnected from the God that we say we love and serve. That's 11 and a half years. Some of us will work the equivalent of 11 and a half years of time. We do a prayer line after service, right? Come pray with us if you need prayer in the front. If one of you walked up to me today during prayer and said, hey, Pastor B, I just want you to pray for me one last time because starting right now, I'm deciding to spend the next 11 years disconnected from anything involving Jesus Christ. We would be having a conversation about how you are effectively leaving the faith. You're walking away completely. That might make some of us uncomfortable, but we seem comfortable casually, unintentionally or intentionally separating ourselves and disconnecting our faith from the thing that we're going to do for an equivalent of 11 years time. It is the very essence of the gospel that God sent his son Jesus in order to heal relationships, to heal our relationship with him first and foremost, to heal our relationship with other people, and also to heal our relationship with other things, especially the thing that we spend most of our time doing. So it's important then that we begin to develop a biblical understanding of what it means to work. 
to that end, a biblical definition of work might sound like this. Purposeful activity done for the glory of God and the good of others. Purposeful activity done for the glory of God and the good of others. And I have to say, that's what a biblical definition of work can sound like and what it shouldn't sound like is you just Jesus juking people. That's not what I'm talking about today, right? Like if you're a lawyer, we don't need you tomorrow morning to be like, oh, okay, I got it. You know, I'm, I'm pumped up about this faith at work sermon now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Your Honor, may I, take, may I approach the bench? <clears throat> Before I begin my case, I'd like to tell you about a man that lived. Um, like, that's just... No one, like, this, that's not, we need to seek to make explicit gospel presentations at work, amen? But we're not, I'm not talking about the Jesus juke today. What I'm talking about is shifting and fixing our view and our paradigm of work in order that we might glorify God and help other people. And where do I get that from? It comes straight from Genesis chapter 2. In verse 2, we see, it says that God rested from all of, or he completed all of his work and he rested his work. Did you catch that? Everything he did up until that point, he was creating everything. He created the earth. He created humans. He created you and I. He filled the earth. And all of that is called work. So before work is anything, it is something that exists to glorify God. We were created by work. And then the same chapter continues on in verse 7. It says, God breathed the breath of life into our nostrils. He gave us life, and then immediately after, he gave us work, which shows that work is something very central to who we are as humans. It is an extension of who we are. It is of our very essence work. God gave us life, and then he gave us work. He created us by work, and he created us to work. We see in verse 15, it said that God put Adam in the garden to work it and keep it. The garden was his work. So we were created by work, for work, in a paradise to enjoy. And I get it. You know, that I can hear the silence. It got a little silent in here, amen? But I can hear through, I can hear a couple of people saying, Right now, in response to that, hypothetically, you know what, Brandon, that's a little too idealistic, right? And you're honestly kind of overcomplicating it a little bit, if we can be real with you, B. Like, you're making it a little too complicated. The whole, you know, help others flourish, like, what are you even talking about? Now, first off, the, the, the garden there, right, when you think about the essence of a garden, uh, we have a garden on our block that we live on, and we help out there, and we planted a ton of vegetables last year, and more than the people that volunteer there can really eat, and we had to give them away. By nature of a garden, it exists, and as you work it, other people will be blessed by it. But furthermore, I would like to say that thinking that the Bible is being too idealistic, I understand where that can come from. But really, we might be thinking, just do what we love, right? It's, it's simple, Brandon. You're overcomplicated. Just do, just do what you love. It's that simple. Do what you love. Work to pay the bills, right? This is a great job, but it's not something that, that, that I enjoy. I just do it to provide. That's it. You're over, like, calm down. You're overcomplicating it, really. And I really think this comes from this do what makes you happy thing in our culture, right? Do what you love, just do what you love. Or like our friends might say, um, just quit that job because it's not making you happy. 
Just job hop until you, until you find what you really love, right? Don't stay at that place that seems unfulfilling or they're overworking you or, or it's boring, right? Like just leave, leave and find something else because work should bring you happiness. And the one you, the work you have right now doesn't seem to be doing that. And then maybe others we look to for wisdom, maybe elders in our family might say, no, 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 just disconnect your happiness completely from your work because it's just a necessary evil. It's just a thing we all have to do to get by. Don't look to it to do too much for you. It it won't bring you anything. But the Bible seems to say neither should we look to work for all of our happiness, nor should we completely disconnect our happiness and fulfillment from our work, but rather we should reorder what we love. And there we might find more fulfillment. When we love God most at work. There we might find more meaningful purpose at work when we love God most. When we view work as a means to glorify him and not just make us happy, as a means to help others flourish as well as ourselves. You know, when I believed both of these views, I noticed there were some issues. When I really worked simply to make myself happy personally, I noticed that I became abusive. And mainly, I was willing to abuse myself. (laughs) I was willing to overwork. I was willing to exhaust myself and burn out and take time away from my family. I would leave the house before my son got up, and I would come back after he went to sleep, all on my own doing. These was all a result of the decisions I made because I thought what I was doing and what I was giving would create an environment that would make me happy and It did not. And then when I disconnected my happiness from my work completely, I was just saying, you know, actually, this is just a necessary evil. I honestly became a whack coworker, if I could be real. I I wasn't great to work with. I was rude, and I would never step outside of my role. Oh, don't ask me to to help. Oh, you need me to help with the... Oh, okay, let me um, pull out my list of job duties. Um, What? I don't see that on here. Do you see it? Oh, yeah, okay, maybe no. I'm thinking no. Um, (laughs) I would get work done, but, like, I'm just, you know, I wasn't great to work with. Amen? Not a team player, if you will. Right. But I realized that there were some issues there, and maybe, maybe I needed a different paradigm to view work through. And in light of this, I would say that it's maybe too idealistic. The Bible's not being idealistic and intangible here, working for the glory of God and the flourishing of others. I think it's actually too intangible to just say, do what you love. How many of us are going to work tomorrow a job that we just have always wanted to do and and absolutely love? Amen. I see four hands. And I'm happy. I'm proud to say... (laughs) Hilarious. That's good. Four hands. And I'm happy to say that I'm the fifth. My hand was raised too. But I have to say, as much as I absolutely love and, and train very hard and, uh, to, 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 to do this job well and, and to love it, the past two weeks has been a little tiring, if I could be honest with you. I've been a little, <coughs> kids been sick and this was nothing, nothing tragic. It's just life, thorns and thistles, right? And I was tired, and, and there weren't many days over the past couple of weeks. I might need to take a day off, Portia, wherever you are. This is my notice. Uh, but uh, over the past couple of weeks, I can't think of one singular day where I was clocking out and just was like, I love everything that happened today. I just, 
I can't, you know, this is great. And I love what I do. So I think it's more intangible than unrealistic to just say, do what you love. Because even there, Genesis 3.17 is still true. Cursed is the ground because of you. If the ground was Adam's work, cursed is our work because of sin. It's not how it's supposed to be. You know, Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. And for those of you who don't know, the Sistine Chapel is a little church-type room with pews in the Vatican in Rome and Italy. And Michelangelo painted the ceiling of that chapel. And it's a beautiful work. We marvel at it still today. And it's a little-known fact that Michelangelo hated painting the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> Hilarious. And some of you are like, see, you can't find happiness at work. Um, but he hated it for many reasons. For one, he was a sculptor, not a painter. So they had him operating outside of his gift in all sorts of ways. Pope Julius approached him and said, will you paint this? And he said no at first because he said, I'm a sculptor, not a painter. That's not what I do. That's not my gift and my call, and I don't want to do that. But Pope Julius was a powerful man, and he insisted Michelangelo and Michelangelo alone paint and not sculpt. So paint he did. It took four years to complete this project. It wasn't some small side job like, hey, after work, you can come over and do this. No, this is your job now for the next four years. Thank you very much. And while he was doing it, he was suspended in the air in this weird contraption, literally bent over backwards, contorted with paint and sweat dripping in his eyes over and over to the point where he sustained permanent damage to his vision. And as if that wasn't enough, there was a war over that long span of time, <laughs> and the government was in jeopardy, but the church and the state were married, so the government was cutting his paychecks. So there was a real, real, <laughs> there was a really a concern that he might not ever receive full payment even for this work he didn't want to do. But he persisted, and what we have in the end is this beautiful thing that we marvel at today. And I don't know about you. But I know I, you know, not working at Renaissance Church, right, Aswan Jordan, not, you know, not, not at Renaissance, but I, I've definitely found myself feeling like Michelangelo at work before. You're like, they got me operating outside of my gift, and this isn't for me. I'm not supposed to be here right now. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to do greater things. Or where I literally feel like I'm bending over backwards for other people over long sweat-inducing periods of time, and I sit and I wonder, what is this all for anyway? Who am I serving? Because it's not me. And I truly question where I'm at. Whether you were doing civic work or corporate, finance or fitness, science or sales, work will put forth thorns and thistles. And maybe it's important if the Bible says that, that we also search the Bible for how to respond to work's difficult moments. Save for extenuating circumstances when we face issues at work, we have a decision to make. We can decide to view these issues, commonplace issues, as obstacles or as opportunities. Obstacles or opportunities. An obstacle is a circumstance which makes work seem impossible, genuinely hinders the activity of work. You know, Genesis 3.18 said, thorns and thistles it will put forth for you. This is the thorn. 
A thorn on a rose serves no true purpose. The most commonly cited purpose is that it protects the rose from predators, but I hate to inform you, I walked down 125th, you know, on Valentine's Day just the other day, lots of dead roses. Not very effective. So it's safe to say that the, the thorn serves no real purpose. To give you a couple of examples, I'm going to get a little techie at first because that's, that's my world before ministry, but it's like when if your whole business runs on a platform and that platform crashes, like Amazon Web Services, or maybe you work out of a customer relationship management tool every day, that's where you get all of your tasks done 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and that system just goes down. There's nothing you can do. That is a thorn that hinders work. You can't just go for a walk, go get a coffee, come back, see if the developers have fixed it. There's nothing necessarily redeemable about that. Or maybe, maybe COVID. COVID has cut and shut all sorts of businesses, left and right, all throughout Harlem, up and down Lenox, up and down 125th Street, and beyond. That is a thorn that has hindered work, cut jobs, and I pray in the name of Jesus that it passes. COVID is a thorn. Or maybe there is a glass ceiling over you simply because of the color of your skin. Or your gender. Maybe you're a, a, a female in a finance bro world downtown in Fada. And there is an invisible system over you literally preventing your progress at work. That is a thorn. That is an obstacle. Yet even when there are true obstacles, these moments prove the Bible true. They prove Genesis 3 true. Work will inevitably bear thorns no matter how great you are at your work or how influential your work is or how powerful you are at work. There will be times where your work seems fruitless. And if you have a paradigm of work that just says, make me happy, <laughs> it might lead to some dark places. Yet even when there are obstacles... Looking at work as a means to glorify God and help others flourish will move us to be agents of hope and healing. You know, in my second director-level role that I held in the corporate world, I was leading a team of representatives in a sales org. And there were people working there of different varying degrees and experience and function. And I was very intentional to hire minorities in that space, which specifically meant people of color and women, which little known fact and aside, there are not that many women in sales, but statistically women perform better than men in sales. Amen. So this is statistically proven. And so one of the ladies I had hired, very nice. I could tell she would be amazing at the job in the interview. She didn't have a ton of experience, but she had enough and very unassuming. She was short and wore glasses and one of the nicest, most kind, and trusting people you would meet. But don't get it twisted, fierce salesperson. When I was doing her paperwork, you know, you fill out your I-9 and all the things when you get hired or when you're hiring people. And I was sitting with my CEO, CEO uh, doing some of the paperwork, and I noticed that he listed her wages roughly 10%, a little over 10% lower than her peers of similar background and the same role. And sitting across the table from him, I just asked him, wait, why did you list it as this when so-and-so, for instance, is, is paid this? And he looks at me, he smirks, 
smirk turns into a laugh. The laugh dies down, and he says, so what? She doesn't know any different. I grew silent because all I could think of was, she doesn't know any different, but we know better. The other reason I stayed silent is because I knew at the end of the pay period, I was cutting the paychecks anyway. So, so we'll see about that. We'll see how this plays out for you. And then also, I'm a little more introspective. So I wanted to think of a plan because I knew this was important. I knew it, it, it wasn't helping my new employee flourish to pay her less than her peers. And so I went to the COO, who I thought would be a little more empathetic to the situation. And right then and there, we created a plan to make sure that she would not miss any of the wages. She was really due, Romans 4-4. And from her very first paycheck, she was paid the same as everyone else on the team like she should be. I had the opportunity to free one of my peers from a glass ceiling she couldn't even see. She would have had no clue, like he said. To free her from this thorn, to turn a thorn into something redeemable. And this is a result of viewing my work as a means to glorify God and help others flourish. You don't get there by just saying, make me happy. Why would you jeopardize your work to help someone else if all you think about work is that it exists for me to have happiness. This is why we will also do well to distinguish whether we're looking at a thorn or a thistle, like Genesis 3.18 says. Thorns and thistles, right? I explained that situation, a glass ceiling, as a thorn, but it turned into, the obstacle turned into an opportunity. An opportunity which is a circumstance which makes work possible. Whereas an obstacle is a circumstance which makes work seem impossible, an opportunity is a circumstance which makes work possible. Genesis 3.18, thorns and thistles, this is the thistle. And we do well to discern what we're looking at. A thistle in reality is a, a violet daisy plant, which is thorn-like. It has shrubs and it seems undesirable, unusable, but we've discovered over the course of thousands of years that it has great medicinal purposes. It can be used to help cure hepatitis C and liver disease and lower cholesterol. It is helpful. It is healing. And similarly, some of the issues we face at work are meant to help and heal like thistles. You know, your boss, maybe, you know, you all used to not be virtual. Virtual wasn't Virtual work wasn't even an option. Now you're all, your whole team is virtual. And maybe your supervisor makes you do an 8.30 a.m. Zoom check-in. Anybody? Every day? Monday to Friday? Hate it, right? Terrible. You never turn your camera on. I know you don't. Half the time you haven't even brushed your teeth yet, for me, if we're being really real. If we're keeping it funky. We haven't even, we're not even ready for the day. You got me on Zoom? Don't even got your makeup on you. What are, we what are we talking about? I'm not turning my camera on. That's, that's a thistle. That's not a true obstacle because that could be an opportunity to empathize with a manager who maybe got into it, he or she, because she likes pouring into people and the, the faces and the data and the things that used to be in front of them are no longer there. 
Maybe it's an opportunity. Or maybe your deskmate likes to eat smelly food from their desk, right? Right next to you. It's terrible. Fish. All sorts of greasy, onion-filled things. Nasty. Why would you do that? No, I'm, I, I'm actually snitching on myself. I definitely ate lobster mac and cheese from my desk just last week. <laughs> but maybe it's an opportunity to love, love people who can be a little difficult sometimes and say, I have stuff to do. I could have went to the cafeteria, but I didn't. I couldn't, right? I can't work from there as easily. And Portia and Jess were there. They showed me grace. They really did. They were like, it's okay. <laughs> no, no it's, no, it's really fine. It's fine. We love the smell of lobster while we're, while we're working. It actually, yeah. Um, or maybe someone just called another meeting and you feel it's completely unnecessary, right? And it's edgy. We get it. You're edgy. It's cool to hate meetings right now, right? It's cool. It's edgy, right? And, you know, so, so we, we don't like meetings today. And, and let me help you. If that's you, you probably need them. Like, you probably really. And we all need really well-run meetings, death to poorly-run meetings. But we need good meetings. It's where work gets done. It's an opportunity, it's a thistle. It's not a true obstacle to work as much as we might not like meeting with people over and over again about the same thing. It does help things progress when you really look at it. Or maybe a client or a patient is hesitant to accept your advice or what you're prescribing. But it can be an opportunity to answer questions and help someone uncover and understand a little bit more about why you're helping them in the way that you are. Sometimes work presents obstacles, true problems. And other times, work is really presenting an opportunity to grow, to, to love, to help someone who's not even helping themselves. Oftentimes, we face challenges. The challenges we face while working are crucibles, which exist to help make us cruciform. They are heated moments which exist to help us on the other side uncover what it might look like to look a little bit more like Jesus in the workplace. I know a crucible is this kind of pot that is used to raise elements and things to really high temperatures in order that they may be broken down, even melted, and then used for other purposes, other projects and other progress and things. I was once working on another team at a different organization, and everybody strongly disliked working for my new supervisor when I got to the team. I'd be at the water cooler at work or in, in the kitchen in our office and telling people that I barely know in passing, oh, oh, whose team are you on? And I would go, oh, yeah, I'm on so-and-so's team. And they would immediately be like grimacing, like, whew. I, I genuinely feel bad for you, like for real. I feel bad for you, and, and good luck. Like, really, you're going to need it. And, man, it really was just because he was excessive. We would get goals from our vice president, and he would communicate to us higher goals, different ones, so that maybe we'd outperform somehow by being uh, overworked. And it was difficult to work for him, and, and, and I didn't always enjoy it, but I decided to lean in. This is where I was. This was my lot. And when I did that, I noticed other people did the same thing. And as we had our cohesion high, we actually wound up being the best performing team in the nation, in our org, and everybody, almost everybody on that team went on to leave a lasting impact at the organization. I got better. Our team got better. Our supervisor got a lot better at managing people simply because we leaned into the crucible of work and didn't run from one another. And what I'm saying is we experience a 
refining along the crucible of work that resigning from the crucible of work could never produce. When we begin to look at more of work's issues through the lens of Genesis 2 and 3 as opportunities to run to instead of obstacles to run from, we might look a little bit more like Christ in the workplace. And we, in particular, can be confident in that because we worship the God of work who sent his son through a crucible in order that you and I might glorify him by persevering in ours. And so we do. And would you check this out? God already had a plan in place to redeem the brokenness of work. Genesis 3, 23, just a little bit past our focus passage says, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to work. (laughs) Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. So we were made by work, we were put in the garden to work, and then we were kicked out of the garden to work. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if you don't like work, it seems like life in, God, life in the presence of God seems like it involves work. <laughs> there is this sense that work is forever, that work is good, that work is, so, is a thing that is supposed to be, and work is infinite. You know, God put you where you are right now to work with a purpose. Work has infinite purpose. Your work has infinite purpose in the eyes of the Most High God. And if it has infinite purpose in the face of finite and temporary issues, then it has victory in Jesus. It outlasts the issues that you currently face. The work you are doing right now has victory over the problems that it faces. The problems that you face are temporary. In Jesus, the goodness of your work is not. As you experience the bends of progress at your work, would you remember that you were created to work purposefully? for the glory of God, and for the good of others. But that work is broken. And despite that, your work, you, your work, has infinite value and purpose in the eyes of God. I just pray that you would act like it on Monday. Amen.